When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the 1865 Match Report on the weekend where a dour game saw Nottingham Forest defeated by Wolverhampton Wanderers in a game that was decided by two spot kicks. Ruben Nevers was successful with his penalty, but Brennan Johnson saw his effort saved by a one-handed Jose Sarr in the Wolves goal. Coming up, we'll talk about a lack of cutting edge, we'll talk about refs and VAR, and we'll also have the latest news roundup from Callum. But first of all, the team news, and Forrest saw one change from the team that had acquitted themselves with a decent level of uh, aptitude against Aston Villa, and that was the injured Serge Aurier was replaced by Nico Williams at right back, and Lewis O'Brien was poorly, so unable to take a place on the bench. So the Forest first team was Henderson in goal, Williams, Cook, McKenna and Toffolo across the back. We had Freuler sitting in the number six position with Yates and Kuyate uh, playing alongside him in midfield. And we had Johnson and Gibbs-White on the wings with Emmanuel Dennis up front. Now, uh, I'm joined by Stephen. Um, Stephen, you're feeling a little bit croaky today, so I hope that you'll be able to make it through today's podcast. But um, we'll talk about a few of the key facts in a minute. But just before we do that, briefly, how did that defeat make you feel? I mean, to me, it felt it felt quite disheartening. It did for me too. I, at the end of that 90 minutes, just felt deflated again and it did feel like a opportunity gone begging from Forrest's point of view. Now I've had the opportunity to sleep on it. I don't feel quite as down as I did at five to five yesterday afternoon, but uh, I think there are still areas of the game where you, f- where I do feel a bit sort of down and a bit disappointed about, but other areas where Forrest actually didn't do as badly on the day as perhaps it felt in the moment. And there are some positives to take away from the performance. And I'm hoping that it's, and even though we lost, it's another step in the right direction in terms of not conceding as many goals and, and a bit more time um, that the teams had to come together and, and more cohesion being built between the players. Mm, yeah, we'll we'll talk about those kinds of ups and downs and and whether that th- things are moving in the right direction or not. Um, like you, our original plan was to record this on Saturday evening, but uh, events overtook us slightly. And and like you, I feel slightly more measured and, and calm than I did last night. Um, let's talk about what happened in the game. So. First of all, um, it's been years since I've been to Wolves and they have a lot of pyrotechnics and a lot of pre-match build-up. And and, um, and also, the other thing is that 
I found it. I found it surprisingly hostile. The atmosphere, actually, um, uh, in the lead up to the match, I was discussing with uh, with the married on the Midlands, and he was reminding me that his brother has been beaten up twice by Wolves fans. So <laughs> maybe I just had this impression in my mind of them being more friendly than they are. I don't know. Um, but going back to the actual match action, Forrest actually probably had the first chance of the game. It was from a corner. It was a. Um, a back post header from um, Scott McKenna, but it went harmlessly over and hit the roof of the net. I think it's fair to say, Stephen, though, that that generally in that first half, Forest were very much on the back foot, similar to how they were pinned back a little bit in the second half against Villa, would you say? Yeah, it was a, a game where Forest struggled to really get out of their half and and trouble the Wolves defence and the Wolves goalkeeper. Stories were this week that the the Wolves keeper had a, a wrist injury. Um to my first impression there was just shoot on sight and mm-hmm. at least pepper him with some some shots and test him. But we didn't really do that. We never looked like doing it in the first half. It's it seemed that Forrest were content to sit there and and try and catch wolves on the break but we were even struggling to do that i don't remember many opportunities that forest created in that first half and there was a spell where they i think about the 30 minute mark where they came into the game a bit more looked a little bit more threatening but again wolves came back towards the end of that half and I was sat there watching, thinking, right, let's just get into half time and and hope it's goalless and we can go again in the second. Mm. Which of course we did, but I I would agree with you. I think from the spell, from about sort of I think it's about thirty four minutes to about forty two, Wolves had this kind of period where they would they were just they switched it switched it on a bit and their threats were coming down the wings. So obviously Adama Triari look. Bruno Large has gone, and that's given Adama Traore a new chance that it didn't look like he was going to have um, at Molyneux. And so he's taking that chance. And so the ball was played out to him. He's strong. He's powerful. Luckily for us, his end product is really variable. Um, but he did put some dangerous balls in. And that led to Ryan Aitnuri having a header, which he, like McKenna, put kind of harmlessly over the bar into the roof of the net. And then Nuri also got played through, I think it's uh, Mateus Nunez um, played it through, Diego Costa dummied it, and Nuri put it well wide in the end. It looked way closer in real time than it, than it was. And then the onslaught continued. Costa had an effort which um, he put just wide, but the offside flag had gone up anyway. And then the most dangerous moment was when Max Kilman, who's an absolute giant of a man, <laughs> um, he headed it off the post, hit the base of the post from another cross by Triore, and um, Henderson was able to kind of gather the rebound. So we're really under the cosh for those sort of 10 minutes or so, and Wolves had really turned up the heat. Now, I think in the interests of balance for all the forest were getting battered then, it's worth pointing out that there was a potential shout for handball, which I completely was unaware of at the time. But Forrest had got the ball on the left-hand side. Emmanuel Dennis had played it through. The ball had uh, come across the box and Nico Williams hit it on the volley from, from 20 yards and it went wide. 
Now, that's fine. I saw a couple of Forest players appealing and a corner was given. And then having seen a replay, it did hit Totti's hand. Now, two things to say. First of all, VAR had a look at it and did not refer it to the ref. They said nothing, nothing to see here. Um, secondly, what's your opinion, Stephen? Was it worth a shout? And were you surprised that nothing came of it? It was worth a shout, but I wasn't sat there raging that that penalty hadn't been given. I could see, could see why the Forest players were appealing, but I didn't feel that certainly at the at the time, I didn't feel that it was enough to say that it was definitely a penalty. Um, about half an hour later, I think I changed my mind slightly uh, <laughs> when when VAR and handballs came up again. But um, yeah, I I didn't feel it was enough of a shout at the time. And yeah, perhaps on reflection, it, it probably wasn't. But mm. again, it's VAR and there does seem to be inconsistencies in in how the rules are applied and and how decisions are being made Mm, okay so having established it was nil nil at half time let's move on to the second half and is relatively early on in the second half when Wolves again went for that tactic of getting down the right hand side and this time Traore flanked by um you know Toffolo blocked the route outside Gibbs White sent him inside but Traore is the kind of player who is okay with that. He came in, had a go with his left foot. Uh, the ball deflected wide. From where I was, I couldn't see what happened. Initially, I thought I was expecting to see the net bulge. Um, then when it went wide, I thought it was Henderson saved it. And then the corner was given. And then the corner was held up. Because on the screen, it said VAR check and for handball. So we could only assume from where I was in the ground, that yes, it hit someone's hand on the way through. And sure enough, VAR spent ages looking at it and then referred it to the ref who spent ages looking at it. And of course, naturally, um, that meant that fans around me were saying, well, if it's taking that long, then it's not clear and obvious, is it? Um, And Later on, when I was able to get online, you'd said exactly the same in our WhatsApp chat, hadn't you? <laughs> yeah, I'd been watching the the decision being made and the the how they loop the cut on the coverage. They loop that moment over and over again. It had been watched by the VAR team in Stockley Park. It had then gone over to the referee. He he'd done the same thing. Watched watched it on a loop a couple of times, eventually made the decision. Um, so, yeah, my my feeling was, well, if they're taking that long, it's not clear cut. So you can't give the decision. You go with the on-field call. And when you look at the... I can, I can see why it's a penalty, because Toff's arms are, are just out slightly as he's turning away from the ball. But when it's taking that long, I, I, I don't see how they can give it. and. Yeah. I then we had the feeling, well, if that's been given, then perhaps Forrest should have had one in the first half. So, yeah. So, uh, I mean, Gary Lineker was making the point that, of course, what they do is, and I think Ashley Williams making the point, what they do with VAR is they slow it down. And that kind of means that you're not making as natural a decision because it does make everything look more, more obvious, I suppose. So in real time, 
um, it was difficult to call in slow motion. Toff's hand moved out from the shape of his body, and I think that's because he was trying to turn his body at the time. So I don't think it, you know it's not fair to say it was an unnatural movement or a deliberate effort to to deflect the ball, but it did hit his hand, and so in that respect, that's why the ref and VAR chose to give it. I guess if you're comparing it with the Totti handball in the first half, the argument you could make is that Toff wasn't very far away from the shot when it was made. Maybe, I think, a, a case of, well, about about four yards, five yards, whereas the ball came quite a long way to Totti um, before it hit his hand, but Totti hadn't moved his hand, if you see what I mean. So, I don't know. You, let's just say that, that Steve Cooper in a rare moment, did comment upon the ref in his own inimitable way. And we will talk about that um, later on. Um, but um, anyway, the penalty was given. Good penalty by Neves, wasn't it? I mean, considering that he's just come back into the team, he's playing for a team who've got the lowest amount of goals scored in the entire uh, you know, league divisions, only scored three all season. But he kept his nerve and he slotted it into um, to Henderson's right. Henderson went the right way. Um, and we know that he's able to save penalties, but there's no save in that one, was there? No, it was a, a, a nice strike, well taken. And Ruben Neves, he's just such a good technician, isn't he? And he can shoot from distance. He can take set pieces and his penalties are really good as well. And that, that was just too good for Henderson to save and well struck with conviction and which might well have helped Forrest out a bit later as uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about. Mm. Um, we, I, I will just say as well, I'm, I'm a big fan of Neves as a player and having missed a game with through suspension, you could see how important he is to the Wolves team. Like even if not everything he did came off, he is very much, you know, in it, bearing in mind that they've got Jean Moutinho, who's also an absolute baller and really experienced. But you can see that that Neves is really the kind of the heart of that team, can't you? Yeah, the way that the the play goes through him and he he just knits it together for them. And he's a, a, the kind of player that I think any team in this league would love to have. He's just so, so good on the ball and... He he makes it look very easy as well. He's he's one of those type of players. Um, I'd love to see him in a Forest shirt, if I'm honest. And is it? Yeah. So from our point of view, it's a shame that he has just come back from injury now, and he he couldn't be back next week or a little bit later, if I'm honest. Mm. So um, let's move on from there. Now, about just over ten minutes after the penalty went in. Um, Forrest did make their first changes of the afternoon and they saw Emmanuel Dennis go off. Now, Dennis had had a couple of nice moments, but I say um, Max Kilman in particular is a very, very large individual and, and Dennis looked tiny next to him. And uh, the, I mean, the nicest moment I guess he had in the second half was when um, it looked like Kilman was going to beat him to the header, but Dennis just kind of stuck his foot out and flicked it past him to break past Kilman, who isn't massively quick, certainly not as quick as Dennis. Um, And this was one of many, many moments when 
I think the decision making of attacking players was a bit poor and we will dissect that in a little bit more detail um, soon. So Dennis came off and Czech Kuyate came off and Oral Mangala came on in midfield. Jesse Lingard came on and Brennan Johnson moved from the right wing to the number nine position for a bit. Now, uh, in that time, I would say that Forrest did have it did make a difference. Did it make Forrest better? I don't know. Did it add a different dimension to Forrest's play and therefore unsettle Wolves a bit as they were, you know, lacking in confidence and trying to defend the lead? I think it did unsettle Wolves. So Lingard was on the left. Gibbs White was on the right. There was a nice moment when Lingard broke through. And just when you needed some composure from uh, from an experienced player, he got his left foot entirely underneath it. And if he just played it across at ground level, basically a square ball and Gibbs White would have been running onto it perfectly. But he lofted it and Morgan had to run off and, and try and rescue it. So um, I say, I would say that Forrest, any any moments of attacking intent from Forrest were generally undone by a lack of composure and poor decision making. Um, how do you feel? That's spot on really. It, it, it's it's a common theme. We we get so far up the pitch and then these these moves fall away because we, we lack the killer pass. We lack the final ball. We lack a finish. And we're getting so far and the the quality just isn't there at the moment. And I, I'm hoping that this is something that comes with the team gelling and, and players getting to know each other a bit better. But the, yeah, it's, it's frustrating because we're getting ourselves into good positions and pulling together some good moves at times, but it's all coming undone with that lack of quality and that, that end product at the moment just isn't there. And it is, it's like we're, we're half a second off the pace sometimes in our attacking moves. And, and it, it causes these opportunities to break down. And if we're being clinical about it, then the forest have got to get their act together in this, in this area, because it's going to cost them games. Yeah. We're not scoring enough goals to win games at the moment. I'm I'm glad that we've stemmed the goals flow because that needed to be done, but it's come at the cost, I think, of the of the goals that we were scoring. And we now need to find that balance again and and find our composure and our quality in front of goal because at the moment it's just not there. Mm. Having said that we're struggling to make chances, we got gifted a chance. So it was a corner put in from Gibbs White on the left-hand side. Now, from where I was sat, this looked like a clear handball by Adama Traore, as in he had the, he was near the goal line, the ball dropped kind of, and he tried to kind of chest slash stomach it, but because the, the, the ball dipped, it did, as far as I could tell, hit his hand. There's a big shout for handball, play went on, Wolves went down the other end. They won a corner, a last-ditch bit of defending, um, I think, from Steve Cook. And as they were waiting for to take their corner, the ref said, hold on, hold on. On the screen, VAR check, checking possible penalty. And they said, checking possible penalty for foul. And once again, the ref, after a long, long, long wait, 
gets called over to the screen and he has a look at it for quite a while and he takes his time and then the penalty is given now I thought it was a penalty for the handball by Traore. I thought it was as clear-cut as you could wish to see. It was just a question of whether the camera angles would show it. It turns out it was nothing to do with that. I have no idea if, you know, no, I don't, no one even looked at the handball shout because uh, Mateus Nunez had pulled down Ryan Yates in the penalty area. And um, again, they looked at it for a long time for something which actually, on the replay, once you see it, it's like you can't unsee it. Exactly, yeah. Very clear cut, wasn't it, in the end? And yeah. If, if Why did I, it even need to go for the ref to look at the screen in that case? I'm not, I'm really, I was, was not sure about that. That's a decision that VAR officials in Stockley Park should be able to see and just give it, surely. Um, yeah. Unless they want to give some credibility to the referee and say, go and have a look and make the decision for yourself. But yeah, there was a that was a long wait for a decision which was actually quite clear cut because the guy has got hold of Yates, he's got his shirt, he's got his arms, everything, and hauling him back and on the commentary um that I was watching, Don Hutchinson was co com and he said, If I'm Ryan Yates in that position, I'm going down. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to argue with that because if he doesn't go down there then it's not given mm. and it probably doesn't go to VAR and it's 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 not given a second chance to to be checked. So, yeah, I think from our point of view, it was a clear penalty and good work from Ryan Yates, actually, yeah. winning it and, and making sure that that was seen, if you like. Yeah, and in, in a weekend where... Um... Uh, Marco Silva made the point that the Mitrovic penalty where Jefferson Lerma uh, tackled him in the box, well, it's one of those where the ref wouldn't have given it if Mitrovic hadn't gone down. But if you look at other decisions that are given across the league, then it has to be given as a penalty, which is the point that Marco Silva made. Of course, Gary O'Neill had his opinion, as you'd expect. But this is a very, very clear pen. But because of the long wait, and of course, Jose Sarr then took his time, and Brennan Johnson um, was waiting. Uh, now, we've seen Brennan take a lot of good penalties. We've seen him take one or two poor ones as well. How did you feel? Did you feel confident? I wasn't sure, to be honest with you. I don't think Brennan's been in the best of form, and I was a little bit concerned with him taking the penalty. Didn't look as confident as I thought he, he normally does, and, yeah, I wasn't as... So I wasn't as confident as I had been with with his um, his penalty against Bournemouth, mm-hmm. and it did prove to be true. Sadly, from mm-hmm. Forest's point of view. So, call me Mister Optimistic. I was hoping that having had a poor, not just a poor match, but a poor couple of matches, really, that um, this could give Brennan that little injection of confidence. Now, was it a good save? Was it a poor penalty, or a bit of both? It was a for me a poor penalty. I think it, it's got to go in the corner, and again it comes back to the goalkeeper. If the goalkeeper's been struggling this week with injury, as reports suggest, just fire the penalty hard and put it into a corner. Make it as difficult for him as possible to make the save. Um, yeah, it was a good save, but it was in a good spot for him, and he got his positioning right. He just left his foot on the line 
so he could sort of dive forward slightly and across. Mm. So he's done he's done well there. Um, but I'm looking at that penalty and thinking Brennan should have should have aimed it more at the corner mm. and, and made it more difficult for the keeper. Yeah. So Jose Sarr did say in his post-match interview, I knew who's going to hit it to my left. So maybe Brennan was too easy to read or his penalties are too predictable. Uh, I don't know, shades of Lewis Graben there, I don't know. But um, also on the big screen, they did briefly flash up uh, the kind of goal line angle. So I did wonder if they were looking at whether Saar had left his line too early. Um, But I I don't think there was any any issue there in the end. Um, Okay, so Forrest missed their golden chance to get back in the match. And then they brought on Taiwo Awanyi uh, in place of Remo Freuler. So that saw Forrest go 4-4-2 with Johnson and Awanyi up front, Gibbs, White and Lingard on the wings. And in a last throw of the dice, they put on Sam Surridge on for Harry Toffolo, which essentially meant that they went 2-3-5. Now, there were a couple of efforts. So there was an effort that came to Mangala on outside the box and he just snatched it in. He, he had loads of time and space, but he just tried to go for the first time volley and it basically went into orbit. Um, and then right at the death, there was a ball into the box from a set piece. Uh, Steve Cook headed it back firmly across the goal and then Yatesy just got underneath it. So it hit the roof of the net. And that that was, that was I suppose, if the Johnson penalty was the chance, then that was the last shot at redemption, really, wasn't it? So it ended 1-0 to Wolverhampton Wanderers. The 1865 Match Report. You're listening to the 1865 Match Report. Uh, we are happy to be joined now by Matt Langham, who's a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan, with his thoughts on the game. A few thoughts here from a Wolves fan coming in peace. Um, not a particularly brilliant game yesterday. Uh, Wolves had all the play in the first half. Jose Sarr could have pulled up a lawn chair really and read the paper. There was nothing for him to do. But equally, from a Wolves perspective, it was the same old thing. Um, good technical play, good possession, up to the final third, and then really not much going on. Um, had Costa in the middle on his Zimmer frame, didn't really do much to affect the game, although he is a bit of a pain. Um, and then in the second half, yeah, a bit more harem scarum. I thought both penalties were probably right on balance, and it was about the only thing the referee got right, um, because he got nothing else right. All the calls that he made seemed perplexing at times, otherwise um, free kicks that weren't free kicks, but, you know, he was equally bad for both sides, so Fair's fair. I can't understand um, people saying that the Forest penalty wasn't a penalty. To me, it was a clear pull. Um, I've got a bigger issue with the fact that Totti just shanked it out of play under no pressure to give the corner away in the first place. But there you go. Um, really valuable three points for Wolves. Delighted with that. Um, performances will hopefully come in time. Uh, from a Forest point of view... I think it's a tougher league this year. Um, you know, last year there were maybe one or two teams that you thought were doomed quite early, notably Norwich. This season, I don't see the league as being, you know, that that easy uh, to escape relegation from. I think all teams from in the bottom half, it's a cliche, anyone could be anyone else. 
So a forest doomed? No. Um, Steve Cooper is a guy that I really like. Whenever I've seen an interview with him or read anything from him, he seemed genuinely inspiring. Fair play to Forrest for sticking with their guy. He worked miracles last year. Let's face it, after what I think was the worst start in over 100 years. I'm not wrong in saying that. So nothing short of a miraculous season last year. And the guy deserves more time. Hopefully build the relationships on the pitch. And Forrest, a team I've always quite liked, will hopefully live to fight another day and stay up. Okay, thank you very much, Matt. Um, Now, Stephen, you're back with us. Um, Now, this match felt really bad. And like me, you feel a little bit calmer this morning. Um, The other thing that helped with that wasn't just watching match of the day and Jermaine Genus, okay, he's a forest boy and and all that. And he's, you know, you you can have your own opinions on the quality of his punditry. But he said that actually there were signs there that, that that Forrest, if they can just gel, that they have got something okay going on. My my criticism of the game, if anything, was that we didn't test Wolves enough. Mm. We didn't have enough shots at goal. We didn't have enough quality in the final third to create chances and and those opportunities that we needed to score goals. And we relied on a essentially what was a set piece for an opportunity with the penalty. Same again with the the Yates efforts, ball into the box, header across, and it and it's Yates who heads over the bar. So that's my big concern: is more that we need to do more in attack and mm. and actually test teams more going forward. Funny, as you're mentioning that, I was just thinking to myself: I have no idea what the goalkeeping stats say, but I think that. Jose Sarr's penalty save was probably the only save from a direct shot that either keeper made in the entire match. It was not a game, you know, there were, there were plenty of opportunities if I put it that way. But um, I mean, Adama Traore epitomizes that he's either brilliant or he's absolutely hopeless. And he had quite a few efforts where he ended up putting crosses into the stand and so on. And it was the same with both teams having their efforts on goal. They just, they just didn't do enough to, get the efforts on target I don't think um you mentioned Steve Cooper he said we've not looked after the ball well enough in the first half we didn't show enough bravery and technique now he's very keen on those kinds of I suppose things to do with attitude and nuance um he also said I haven't seen the penalty back but the less said about the referee's performance today the better I'm pretty sure it would have been a different decision if it was at the other end and he did then temper that by saying, but we need to look at ourselves first. He talked about the coaching challenge he's got. He certainly didn't blame the players. He has, you know, he's taken this on his own shoulders. But it is interesting listening, or, or it was listening to him on Radio Nottingham afterwards. The interview finished and they threw back to Charlie Slater, who then won. 30 seconds later, asked a question to Colin Frey about the interview he'd just done with Steve Cooper. And Colin Frey said he seemed a bit downbeat, Steve mm-hmm. Cooper, and he, it wasn't quite his normal self. Now, I wonder if he felt that that was an opportunity missed at Molyneux and that we should have done more to try and win the game. And... I, I think he I think he's taking some of the pressure off the players there with the, the comments about the referee. There was an opportunity there, I think, to for us to do more in the game and 
and to try and win it. And we've not taken that. And I think that's a big disappointment. And I got the impression from Steve Cooper that he was really disappointed with that as well. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, talking about players, we do need to talk about Forrest's uh, number 20, Brennan Johnson. He has looked lacking in confidence. His decision-making and composure, as we alluded to earlier, are not always at the level required. And he's increasingly, when he's getting the ball, he's running with his head down, which is something you can get away with at championship level a lot more because you can basically head towards the goal and have a go. But defenders are bigger and stronger and faster in the Premier League, and he's finding himself getting crowded out. And for me, there was a moment in the first half, sure, the weather was topsy-turvy, so just throwing it down with rain and then the sun had come out. He got the ball in space on the right-hand side. He ran forward 20 yards and then under no real pressure ended up kicking it out of play when he should have easily stayed within the boundaries of the pitch. Um, Towards the end of the second half, he got down the left-hand side. He took on his defenders and he's looking, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this gets past them and then ends up basically doing a powder puff outside of the right right foot effort, which kind of goes weakly wide when he should have been putting the ball with his left foot into the box. Is it time to take Brennan Johnson out of the firing line, give him a rest, maybe take the chance to, I don't know, put a one-year up front and put Dennis on the wings or maybe Sam Surridge, something like that. Is is. I can understand the logic for saying give Brennan a chance and he will keep going, he'll keep going. But I'm wondering if now's the time to take him out. What do you think? I think he's struggling. He's struggling to make an impact in games and and have those moments that he used to have in the championship. I think I think we could in the league below carry Brennan a little bit because his pace and his directness would make things happen. And he could not be involved in a game for a long time, but then the ball comes to him and he will just beat a man, drive into the box and make something happen. He's struggling to do that now in the Premier League. I think, as you're alluding to there, defenders are savvier. They don't have to necessarily be quick to keep up with Brennan. The positioning's better. They read the game a lot better. And I think that has really affected Brennan's sort of his impact in games and I think we are we are at a point with him where it's good I think it's beneficial to take him out the firing line and maybe use him as an impact player from the bench mm. the stretch games yeah and I don't want to get caught up in all the kind of again the lack of nuance that exists both from fans at the ground in the heat of the moment and then people on social media in the heat of the moment. But I would also say that in the first half, I mentioned that Ryan Nuri had two of the kind of strongest efforts on goal, or he should have had two efforts on goal really. And I found myself thinking, you know, poor Nico, it's like playing with 10 men. Nico Williams was um, horrifically upstage because if you look at the other flank, Gibbs White's not the best defender, but he was tracking back. He was doing his best to um, help out Harry Toffolo and if it weren't for the fact that Adama Traore is really, really good at dribbling and taking on his man, on the other side, Aitnuri was able, um, Williams were looking after Pedence, and therefore it was really important that Johnson track back, and he just wasn't doing that 
as he should have been. And I think that that's as much of a concern. You can, like you say, you can carry a player in the championship because he offers that kind of danger on the break. It's not been happening that way um, recently with Brennan. So I think that there's a big question mark there. Now, um, let's break away from that for a few minutes and let's go over to the 1865 News Desk. Hi, this is Callum with the 1865 News. Uh, another busy week at Nottingham Forest. We said it wasn't going to slow down too much, um, but it all started with a Daniel Taylor article for The Athletic, which was the story of Evangelos Maranakis, which was a really, really, really great article. Went really in-depth with... Um, the way he operates basically from from a young age until now um, talks about his father talks about his son's involvement um, and how things have been basically with Dane Murphy uh, and Steve Cooper and everything like that so well worth the read um, it also did say that the head of recruitment George Sirianos and head scout Andy Scott would, um, would be looking to lose their jobs which they did uh, effectively quite quickly after that um, so it looks like the replacements are being looked at the moment um, and then also Daniel Taylor was involved in a podcast for The Athletic with Paul Taylor and Nick Miller that was discussing all sorts of bits again about Forrest but the, the main key point that they looked at was that Thomas Tuchel and Maurizio Pochettino were two managers that um, Marinakis and the team were looking at to replace Steve Cooper at the time when the rumours were around um, and that they were they were having a look about and um, yeah they were quite quickly shut down basically and that's where the list with Sean Dyche um, Nuno Espirito Santo came about everything like that um, another bit of news uh, Steve Cooper announced that Niakate is nowhere near returning which is a bit of a a bit of a dent looked like he was doing well with Senegal but looks like it's not it's not any closer to, to a return and um, but he also did say that Emmanuel Dennis had a few knocks which will explain why he didn't have too many minutes at the start of the season but then obviously started his first Premier League game and got his first goal thank you very much and I'll be back with the news soon Thank you very much, Callum. Uh, now, Stephen, we are—we've only got a couple of minutes left in this podcast, so just one thing I want to pick up on from Callum's news roundup: the sackings of George Sirianos and Andy Scott. Uh, those don't look good in terms of what's happening behind the scenes at the club, in terms of cohesion and unity and strategy, do they? No, it is a move that has got rid of two people who were instrumental I think in helping Forrest build a squad that got them out of the championship last season the 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 change in approach as well that was spearheaded by Dane Murphy I think the likes of Sirianos and Andy Scott helped to put some of that into action with a certain profile of player that they were looking at and bringing in and it, it does seem like we've given them the chop and, and and kind of said, well, your work wasn't good enough. Now, I think Sirianos has been involved in the Bundesliga transfers. Obviously, that's his background. That's where he's operated before. So he knows that league. Um, I think Aron Mangala has been a good signing. which mm-hmm. He's just not been able to get on the pitch as often as we want him to. And Taiwo Awani's been a, a decent signing too so far. He's got a, uh, an okay return of goals from his minutes on the pitch and yeah, he looks, he looks like he's got something to offer. So I am a little bit 
a little bit concerned by this. My only my only counter to it is that Dane Murphy and Steve Cooper are still there, and I'm assuming will be involved in the process of bringing in replacements for Scott and Sirianos. So, with that in mind, hopefully it's it's well, it won't be uh, as disruptive a move as it perhaps would have been had all four of them gone and the whole recruitment team was ripped up and started again. Yeah, so I think it's worth uh, noting that Sirianos, I think it's pretty clear that he was, um, because he's apparently close to Dane Murphy, he was obviously getting involved in in maybe in an advisory capacity even before he had a role at City Ground. Andy Scott is somebody who's close to Steve Cooper. I can't help but feeling that um, there were two transfer strategies in place over the summer. There was the initial phase of buying these players who are kind of, you know, 25 and under with the occasional kind of uh, player like Lingard coming in and so on and so forth um, to add a little bit of experience. And then there was the kind of the signings of the Oriers and the Bollies and, you know, the older um, players, which, it, you know, I'm not going to call them panic buys because that's not fair. But it seemed like there were two strategies going on. And we seem to think that Sirianos and Scott may have been instrumental in the younger players coming in. And yet they seem to be four guys, don't they? Yeah, they do. And that's a concern because I hope it doesn't mean that we're looking to go to the old approach of just signing any players that are available and getting fleeced by agents, bringing in 30 players over the age of 30 on big wages who don't have as much to offer because for four years that approach didn't work Mm -hmm. in the championship. It certainly won't work in the Premier League if we think that that's going to be the way to go. So that's why I'm hopeful that despite Andy Scott being Steve Cooper's guy, despite Sirianos and Dave Murphy having a close working relationship, that Murphy and Cooper are still there and that they will have a say in the replacements and hopefully doesn't cause too much disruption to our recruitment and and the way that we find players. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, we'll leave it there for today. Um, had a lot to talk about there. Um, I will also just mention that um, if player if if people are leaving the club, I have a feeling that there's going to be somebody who um, deals with the graphic design for Forest Social Media who will be quaking in their boots this morning. Um, but I want to say a big thank you to Stephen Topless. I want to say thank you to Callum for the uh, news roundup and also to Matt Langham for the Wolves viewpoint. Uh, the next matchup is against Brighton away on Tuesday. That's going to be a tough cookie. We'll be back after the game. Thank you very much for listening to the 1865 Match Report. Sports Social Podcast Network.